Hi, this is David and Barbie Cooper. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's always a privilege to share this time with you. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. And for more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, go to mountperrin.com. Thank you for your generous support. It helps the ministry greatly. As we begin our study of the book of Hebrews today, we want to start with looking at some of the great hallmarks of the book of Hebrews. Who wrote it? What is Hebrews all about? And what does it mean to us and how does it speak to our lives? The book of Hebrews sets forth the preeminence of Jesus more than any book in the Bible. It exalts Jesus as the son of the living God and the savior of the world. The key word of the book of Hebrews that you find all through it is the word better. The word better here in Greek emphasizes Jesus' superiority over everything in the Old Testament. Jesus' superiority over all world religious figures and philosophers. Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. He brings everything into completion. Jesus is better, superior, transcendent. And everything he offers us is better than anything we could ever find in any other philosophy or religion. As we go through the book of Hebrews, we learn that in Christ and through our relationship to him, we have a better revelation and understanding of God. He tells us in chapter one, verse four, that the son of God is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. If you wanna understand God, look at Jesus, the son of God. We also find in chapter seven, verse 19, that we have a better hope in Christ. You know, not a temporary hope, but an eternal hope. It tells us in chapter seven, verse 20 through 28, that we have a better priesthood. The Old Testament had the priesthood of Aaron, the first high priest, and the Levitical priests that served in the temple. But all of that pointed to Jesus. He is our great high priest. He completed the Old Testament priesthood. We have a better covenant we read about in chapter eight, verse six. We read about the old covenant, the covenant of law, but in Christ, we have the covenant of grace. He fulfilled the Old Testament covenant the night that he went to the cross. He told us, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Chapter eight, verse six also tells us that that covenant has better promises. One of the most outstanding features of the word of God are the promises that God makes to his people in Christ. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And we speak the amen or the word of agreement, believing the promises of God. Chapter nine, verse 23 tells us that in Christ, we have a better sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had five major sacrifices that they used in worship. Sacrifices like the burnt offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering. But all of those offerings were really examples of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He is the final sacrifice. He shouted from the cross, it is finished. Chapter 10, verse 34 tells us that we have better possessions. We all enjoy possessions, we need possessions. But Christ gives us eternal possessions, true wealth. It tells us in chapter 11, verse 16, that we have a, a better country and a better city. Remember Abraham of old, how he left the Ur of Chaldees, and God gave him Canaan, the promised land. But that was a temporary land, a beautiful land. I've been to the land of Israel. But Christ has given us 
a heavenly home. And it says in Hebrews 11 and 10 that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. We see the beautiful city of Jerusalem, but we have an eternal Jerusalem. And finally, he tells us in chapter 11 and verse 35 that we have a better resurrection because Jesus is raised from the dead. He promises us and guarantees us eternal life and eternal resurrection. Who wrote the book of Hebrews exactly? Well, the writer of Hebrews remains a little bit anonymous. The letter has been ascribed by the early church fathers to either the apostle Paul, Barnabas, who served with Paul, Apollos, who was a very intellectual man that was a great lecturer on the faith when he came to Christ, also an associate of Paul. And it's even been referred to Luke that he wrote, the same one that gave us the gospel in the book of Acts. Of course, Luke traveled with Paul is how he gave us the book of Acts. While it's theology, rich in Jewish tradition, certainly reflects the, the theology of Paul and the other writings, the writing style is a little bit different from his other letters. But in many Paul's letters, he often had others that did the actual writing while he did the dictation as well. Paul the Apostle is probably the mind behind Hebrews with his rich understanding. He was a Pharisee, understood everything about the law and the sacrifices. And when he came to know Jesus as the Messiah, he could see that everything in the Old Testament clearly pointed to Jesus. Sometimes, because of the persecution of the Roman government, the name of the author of those apostles on a few of the letters is left off. Historians believe that that's because they didn't want Roman officials to find the letters, to arrest the apostles, so they did it to kind of cloak, to be secret, to protect themselves from persecution. Now, the book of Hebrews was written in the city of Jerusalem, and it was sent to Jewish Christians who lived in and around the city of Rome. Now, this was prior to the outbreak of Nero's persecution that started in AD 64 with the great fire of Rome when he blamed the Christians, and he used that as an example to begin to persecute the church. And it's later than the destruction of the temple, which took place in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. So it's somewhere in this latter part of the first century that we believe the letter was written. Now, most of the Christians of the early church were Jewish because Christianity is not really a different religion. It's the fulfillment of Judaism. It's the last chapter of the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The main theme is the superiority of the new covenant of Christ over the old covenant because it fulfills it. Now, listen to chapter 8, verse 6, because it really is almost the key verse that explains everything in Hebrews. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs because of the Old Testament priest as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. So the book of Hebrews explains how Jesus fulfilled the symbols and the types and the shadows of the Old Testament, the priesthood and the temple and the sacrifices. And he says, all of this was pointing to Jesus, our savior. Now, what was going on in the lives of the people who first received the letter of Hebrews? Because the book of Hebrews addresses a lot of the emotional issues and the cultural issues, as well as the spiritual issues of these early Christians. Well, first of all, some of them were confused regarding the promise of the second coming of Christ. There were some in the early church that were telling people Jesus has already come. Of course, they're living under the tyranny of Rome. It didn't look like the second coming to them. And just like we today often hear sometimes in these 
Bible prophets and last days experts, they, they confuse us. It's about the second coming of Jesus. So they clarify that Jesus has guaranteed us that he will come again the second time without sin unto salvation, it tells us in Hebrews 9 in verse 28. And then we should look forward to that return, but not be confused by everybody's theory or false prophecy. Second of all, there was intense persecution from the Roman government. And you see that throughout this letter, how Christians were beginning to suffer from the Roman persecution. And they, they were very much afraid. And that's why you see the chapter on living by faith to counteract that fear. Third of all, some of these early Christians were kind of tempted to relapse back into the Old Testament law, the sacrifices and the services. They didn't quite understand that Jesus had fulfilled everything. They believed in Jesus as Messiah, but still thought they had to keep every stipulation in the law or observe every temple regulation. And he explained, though, that all of those things have been fulfilled and completed in Christ. And even some Christians today, they know they're saved by grace. They tend to relapse sometimes into living by law and ritualism. And fourth of all, some of these people were just discouraged in their personal faith. And suffering does that to us. Personal suffering, and certainly persecution. People get down, they get discouraged. And so the letter really is written to encourage their faith. And that's why I want to share with you from the book of Hebrews to encourage your faith because many of the things that they were going through, you and I are going through today as God's people. Now, why was this letter written? Let's summarize some of the key purposes. You know, it's so important when you read a book of the Bible to remember why it's written, what's the main theme? Because if you know the main theme and the main point, then it explains everything in it. First of all, and most importantly, it's written to exalt the supremacy of Christ. You don't have to look to Muhammad or Buddha or some new age philosopher or the ancient religions of the world. It tells us in the very opening, chapter one, verse one, in times past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus, the son of God, the final word and revelation of God. So everything in the Bible really is always exalting Jesus. Second of all, it's written as an exhortation for us to grow spiritually. In chapter five, verse 13 through chapter six, verse three, he tells the people, you ought to be teachers at this point, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of Christ all over again. They weren't growing spiritually. And he says, let us go on to maturity. And I pray that as we share together these highlights from Hebrews, that you will go on to maturity, that you and I will continue to grow in our faith. You know, our faith in Christ is dynamic. And if we don't grow our faith, it can deteriorate. And so this letter was written to help them understand their faith to understand the preeminence of Jesus and to grow spiritually so that they could teach others. Third of all, it was written as an encouragement to stand firm in the faith. Chapter 11, beginning with verse one, is one of the most famous passages of the New Testament. It's the great faith chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then he says, this is what the ancients of the world were commended for, their faith. And then he says in Hebrews 11, six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. At the end of the 10th chapter, he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe. We are to stand firm in our faith. Don't follow culture, follow Christ. Don't follow the world, follow the word of God. Don't be misled by the things going on in the culture today. Stand firm in your faith. And finally, it was written as, and endurance to run the race. 
and to finish the race that God has given us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through three is one of my favorite passages of scripture when he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's easy to give up in a race. It's easy to run out of energy. But the Christian life is a race. And the Christian church in every generation is given a race to run. You and I find ourselves at this strategic point of history. Let the church be the church. Let's continue to run the race the Lord has given us. Our ministry is not in vain. We're making an impact in the world. Now, why does this letter really matter to the church? You know, for us to be strong in our faith, for us to grow in our faith, for us to reach maturity, for us to be strong together in our commitment to Christ, that's something that happens through our relationships. When you become a Christian, you become part of the family of God. You are part of Christ's church. And so there's a little phrase that appears throughout Hebrews that's so important for us today, and that is the phrase, let us. It's so easy just to get caught up in our own private world and individualism that we forget that the Christian faith is also community. We need each other. We need to encourage one another, pray for each other. And so you find this phrase, let us, scattered all throughout Hebrews. And I'm going to leave you this challenge today. It's so important to be committed to a church body of believers. It's so important to be gathered together. That's why we have the Lord's Day. That's why we built beautiful churches all over the world. These are places where God's people can gather. And sometimes when you can't even physically get there, now through the miracle of technology, we can gather together on the Lord's Day. We can gather together times of prayer to study the Word. So I'll pray that you'll take this encouragement to heart. Don't try to go on your own as a Christian. Just make it on your own. Fight on your own battles. No, have people in your life. Become part of the church. Also share your ministry. Let me show you some of these great let us challenges. First of all, he says in chapter four, verse one, let us be careful. Instead of being careless with our spiritual lives, he says, let's be careful so that we don't drift away from Christ. He tells us in chapter four, verse 11, let us labor diligently to enter into God's rest. That seems like a paradox. We'll talk about that as we go through Hebrews, that we rest from our works. But he says, don't be careless. Your spiritual life, Put some effort, some work, not work for your salvation, but everything comes through work and effort. Always put forth the best effort as a Christian. And then he tells us chapter four, verse 16, let us pray confidently. Let us come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may obtain his mercy and grace. Chapter six, verse one, let us go on to maturity. See, you need other people to help you mature in Christ. Chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near to God not in fear, but he says with full assurance of faith. Chapter 10, verse 23, he says, let us hold fast. That means hold firmly, tightly to the hope that we have in Christ. Chapter 10, verse 24, he says, let us motivate others. He says, let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You and I need others to spur us on, to prompt us, to prod us, but you also need to be an encourager to others to go on toward love and good deeds in ministry. Chapter 12, verse one, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. In chapter 12, verse 28, he says, let us worship reverently. He says, let us worship our God 
with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And he ends these lettuce challenges in chapter 13, verse 15, and he says, let us praise continually. He says, let us offer unto God continually the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that bless his name. That's a great place for us to end today. Join me as we offer a sacrifice of praise. Lord, today we thank you for the grace that we have in Christ our Savior. Today, Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth. We live this day triumphantly with a spirit of praise in Jesus' name. I trust the message has been an encouragement to you today. Remember to follow us on social media and connect with us at mountperrin.com. I'll see you right here next week for a fresh message from God's Word.